All right. We are back. Political theory and um, other stuff. Mike and Paul here yelling at you. And if you want to yell at us, you can do that uh, at us through Twitter at PolytheoryPod. Or you could email us if you're a boomer uh, at, at, or sorry, not at, or yeah, it would be at and the email address and dot um dot other stuff at gmail.com. And uh, we almost wanted... owned the boomers, but then we didn't know how to talk about email addresses. So I guess it's, it's, it's one, one again. but uh uh and then if you want to whisper sweet nothings into our ear you can do that via patreon the patreon's patreon.com backslash polytheory and um other stuff um so today we are continuing the wendy brown article called american nightmare neoliberalism neoconservatism and de democratization 2006 and uh we are starting at the section called uh neoconservatism uh paul do you want to start us off okay um so yeah just a quick recap last time we read wendy brown's uh kind of summary of neoliberalism so let's get into neoconservatism and find out uh, what the true differences really are. There has been lively debate in recent years about the intellectual origins, evolution, deviations, and hybrid forms of the phenomenon known as neoconservatism. Scholars and activists inside and outside its ranks have taken part with two French writers contributing one of the best works on the subject. Francis Fukuyama is probably right to identify a significant departure from from signature neoconservative principles at the moment of neoconservatism's ascendancy from political and cultural critique to political power in the form of the G.W. Bush administration. Uh, Fukuyama, the guy who uh, Fisher also talks about, famous for ending uh, history, which... uh, It's been a very easy period for everybody since then. (laughs) However, this essay is concerned with neoconservatism, not as an intellectual project, but as an emergent political rationality that both draws from and produces a particular political culture and political subject. So, it is necessarily the uh, bowdlerized version, the politically practiced hybrid, rather than the original intellectual conceptualization that is relevant here. Indeed, in contrast with Fukuyama's reduction of neoconservatism to four foundational principles, or Grant Smith's tendentious account of neoconservatives has united in articles of faith centered on militarism, corporatism, and Israel, the Holy Trinity. Neoconservative as a political formation is neither ideologically nor socially unified. It emerges from a contingent convergence of interests among evangelical Christians, Jewish Strassians, avowedly secular cold warriors have made a fetish of the West, conservative feminists and other moralists, Lynn Cheney types, ooh, wow, who knew how relevant that would get, Uh, random imperialists and converted liberals and socialists who, in Irving Kristol's infamous words, have been mugged by reality. Uh, I just think it's interesting because uh, with Lynn... Oh, Lynn Cheney, not Liz Cheney. Scratch that from the record or keep it to 
uh, immortalize my idiocy, uh, who in Irving Kristol's famous words have been mugged by reality. Neoconservatism includes intellectuals and anti-intellectuals, secular Jews and evangelical Christians, chamber musicians turned Soviet Sovietologists, political theory professors turned policy wonks, Angry <laughs> political theory professors turned policy wonks. I wonder who that reminds me of. Um, angry white men and righteous black ones. In short, neoconservatism is born out of a literally unholy alliance, one that is only unevenly and opportunistically religious. Although we will later take up religion's, religion's importance in facilitating neoconservatism's appeal to a popular base, and especially in constructing a reception for its authoritarianism. In Ann Norton's words, what unites the neoconservatives is the desire for, starting large chunk of text, a strong state and a state that will put its strength to use. They would have a, that state ally itself with and empower corporations. Neoconservatives reject the vulgarity of mass culture. They deplore the decadence of artists and intellectuals. They, though not always religious themselves, ally themselves with religion and religious crusades. They encourage family values and the praise of older forms of family life, where women occupy themselves with children, cooking, and the church, and men take on the burdens of manliness. They see in war and preparation for war the restoration of private virtue and public spirit. Above all, Irving Crystal writes, neoconservatism calls for a revival of patriotism, a strong military, and an expansionist foreign policy. So weird to watch what they've morphed into just from that paragraph block. Like some of it obviously um, still exists. Strong military, revival of patriotism. And I guess Trumpers just aren't really neocons because they sure don't want to see say. an expansionist of foreign policy. They, they haven't morphed into anything. If they, you know, people that have morphed are no longer this. Neocons. Yeah, it's weird that the biggest thing they dropped was the foreign policy, which I would guess comes from... How bad fucking Iraq went. How bad Iraq went, and then just that concept that foreign policy could possibly help brown people, I think, uh, is something that really bugs them as well. The, with uh, the current stimulus thing, the thing I see modern day 2021 conservatives up in arms about is that it uh, has the audacity to have foreign aid built into it. But I think that that um, those two things can be interconnected, the whole... Um how bad Iraq went and not wanting to help brown people. Because if you believed the neocon rhetoric about Iraq, it was to help brown people, right? Mm -hmm. It was about going in there and Get giving democracy. them- democracy. Yeah, exactly. And then it went horribly. And so one could argue from that perspective that um, Iraq went horribly because brown people aren't ready for democracy. And we don't right. need to be trying to spread democracy to people that are um, too- barbaric for it or whatever for sure i wonder my only question would be would neocons of the time been okay if we had just gone over to help iraq without bombing the fuck out of them first but uh, yeah i can see what you're saying for sure and that concluded ann norton's chunk of text and back into wendy brown's uh while the disparate elements of neoconservatism which irving crystal calls an orientation rather than a movement at times seems bound together primarily by shared objects of loathing that is a, seems to strike very true that they're bound together by shared objects of loathing um, rather than really anything else. Things they loathe. The United Nations, Amnesty International, and the World Court. Latte liberals, soy cuck boys for modern translation, uh, redistributive welfareists, godless libertines, and flag burners. Muslims, European cosmopolitanism, uh, critical intellectuals, Jane Fonda, 
Uh, do I wonder who today's Jane Fonda is? Greta Thornberry or whoever. Oh, Greta Thornberg. Yeah. Yeah. They hate yeah. Seth Rogen a lot too. Uh, San Francisco and ethics committees. Norton's account suggests that suturing together its strange pieces is a strong state-led and legislated moral political vision. Fukuyama, too, argues that neoconservatism is contoured by belief in the possibility of linking power and morality. Seems so easy to do. <laughs> and especially the historically, uh, and especially the belief that American power has been and could be used for moral purposes just like we always have. The open affirmation of moralized state power in the domestic and international sphere is what sets off neoconservatism from an older conservatism, what makes it neo. As Norton argues, neoconservatism abandons classic conservative commitments on a modest to a modest libertarianism, isolationism, frugality, and fiscal tightness. Belief in limits and moderation, an affinity with aristocratic virtues of refinement, rectitude, civility, education, and discipline. Unlike its predecessor, it is animated by an overtly avowed power drive, by angst about the declining or crumbling status of morality in the West. Uh, you, say, you know, it was, we used to just be so moral here in the West back when we just were into slavery and genocide. Um, and then, then we moved to women wearing pants and it all just went to shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And by a concomitant, con concomitant? I'm gonna have to look that up. I don't know what that one means. Naturally accompanying or associated. Oh. Okay, fantastic. And by a concomitant moralization of a certain imaginary of the West and its values. Yep. <laughs> Thus, while many neoconservatives decry the social engineering they attribute to socialism and liberal democratic egalitarian projects such as affirmative action, integration, and poverty reduction, neoconservatism no more rejects state-led behaviorism than neoliberalism does. Rather, it identifies the state, including law, with the task of setting the moral religious compass for society, and indeed, for the world. This endorsement of state power and attribution of moral authority to the state is at odds with liberalism in every sense of the word. That concludes the neocons. Yeah, that, obviously, I think that's a, an apt description of neocons. Obviously, I think their policies and a lot of the really negative aspects of neoconservatism live on um, within Trumpers, um, I'd just say they're even more isolated. I'd like to say they don't want to see the authority to the state, but as long as the state is the correct state, they want to see all authority to it. So that's still um, fairly, fairly accurate to the point where they want to like eschew election results and shit. Yeah, well, and you know, it's like they they're all about blue lives matter until those blue lives are are trying to prevent them from uh, overthrowing the government, and then. Right. Um, and then, they, yeah, then they have no use for it, you know. I'm sure someone has done, uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, if we could find uh, an article that does what Wendy Brown is doing here, but with, with uh, neoconservatism versus um, whatever you want to call, like uh, right-wing populism or whatever, yeah. you know, like Trump's movement. So anyhow, all right. So this is the uh, neoliberalism and neoconservatism section. What we have in neoliberalism and neoconservatism then is a market political rationality and a moral political rationality with a business model of the state in which of the state in one case and a theological model of the state in the other. 
And even as many American churches and other religious institutions today have significant corporate dimensions and often address their constituencies in neoliberal discourse, and even as many post-Fordist firms have taken on pastoral features and duties and often address their workers or quote-unquote team members in pastoral discourse, there is serious material for collusion here. Indeed, these two rationalities collide all the time in what many have framed as the impossibility of the Republican Party, trying to be both the party of moral values and party of big business. Trivial... I've always found... Sorry, I've just no, always no, found that to be such an interesting paradox or whatever. Yeah. Touting, yeah. like, you know, the, the small family rural areas and then throwing all of their money to billionaires. Or even... Um, and I, I know people have written books on this about really embracing the nuclear family and the and, and like traditional gender roles. The idea that the man goes to work and the woman stays home, while at the same time disintegrating the unions that allowed that to happen. Yeah, in the yeah. past, unions and uh, you know government support programs um, for yeah. for nuclear families as well really disappeared post sixties um, yeah. because of these dudes. Good call. Good call. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I just... No, no. It, it is interesting. Um... The other contradiction they have that always blows my mind is being Christian and then being the least accepting people I've ever met. Like, maybe they all have an edition of the New Testament that I didn't have access to. But if your whole religion is based off of Jesus, and then you take that and use it to be racist, homophobic... Um, judgy of every lifestyle that doesn't fit into exactly what you view appropriate, uh, that makes some of the least sense to me. It's very consistent historically, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, the little bit I've read about Puritanism in the the U.S., you know, in, during the colonies, that shit was, like, next level. Like, No, we are, unfortunately, based in a group of people who were so annoying with their religion that other countries were like, please get the hell out of here. Yeah, like we do not want to talk to you about this anymore, <laughs> which, yeah, it does suck. And, you know, I mean, historically, obviously, right prior to the Priortons, you know, right prior to Martin Luther, right prior, I don't know what the hell that is from, um, prior to Martin Luther, um, most people probably just had no idea what the Bible actually said. So I mm -hmm. cut, them, I cut yeah. them a little more slack than people who were actually able uh, yep. to, to read what Jesus said and then go on and and uh, enslave people and, and just treat everybody like shit. Anyway, that's my rant. And then we have the whole, like, Old Testament situation, which actually does tell you how to properly treat your slaves and stuff, so. Right, and then, yeah, that's, I'm not even going to touch that one. I mean, if you're living Old Testament yeah. values, then, yeah, you're doing it right if you're, if you're a piece of shit, so. Yeah. Uh, by, by my moral standards, I don't, I don't mean to, yeah. to no, assume some sort of universal moral standard. Trivial examples include Super Bowl halftime shows and advertising in which Janet Jackson's ambition for a new CD, Pfizer's aim to sell Viagra to a youth and sex-obsessed society, and ABC's aim to plump its ratings for desperate housewives all lead to scandalous events that send the neocons into frenzies of regulatory fervor. While also hating cancel culture. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. More significant examples include the steady stream of political ethics scandals stretching from Gingrich to DeLay, Frist to Libby, and Duke Cunningham to Jack Abramoff. 
Ooh, that was a fun list of assholes I haven't thought about in a while. Right. <laughs> I know. Me neither. And we probably have listeners that weren't born for uh, a lot of these people, you know. Right. And or maybe not. Maybe not. I don't minus know. Newt, who still manages to say as relevantly an asshole as possible. Like, yeah, I haven't thought about Tom DeLay or Scooter yep. Libby or like, yep. yeah, those are, yeah. And those are names that like... Uh, I'm not pretending I've ever super thought about. I just remember hearing them all the time when I was younger. As a kid, yeah. And now they're just gone. Just gone. And corporate scandals stretching from Enron to WorldCom and from Halliburton to Harkin. These rationalities also clash ostensibly in the sphere of foreign policy, where what critics loosely refer to as empirical behavior veers between commitments to corporate interests and free trade on one side and status moral crusades at odds with these interests on the other produces inconstant and inconsistent treatments of various quote-unquote threats to security iraq iran north korea violators of human rights china cuba and the taliban and threats to humanity Uh, the political economy of drugs and weapons, and increasingly divides over Israel as well. There is also tension between neoconservatism and neoliberalism about the sustainable level of federal debt granted or generated, sorry, generated by military expenditures, while neither rationality, while neither rationality hues to the fiscal austerity and balanced federal checkbook promulgated by classical conservatives, neoliberals are more than a little unhappy about the military tab run up by the neocons. But beyond the scandals and the policy conflicts are the routine effects of neoliberal economics, governance, and political rationality on everyday life, effects that conservative commitments chafe against. These include the destruction of small business and local commerce, the elimination of jobs and union-secured wages, benefits, and workplace protections, and the gutting of federal and state-funded infrastructure, education, transportation, emergency services that sustains families and towns. Here, the rich-get-richer dimensions of every aspect of neoliberalism run counter to neoconservatism's necessary reliance on a working and lower-middle-class populist base, and especially in cultivation of a traditional masculinity and family structure undercut by falling real wages and depleted infrastructures and social services, and the upright patriotic moral and self-sacrificing neoconservative subject in particularly undone by a neoliberal subject inured against altruism and wholly enthrall to its own interest. The neoliberal rationality of strict means-ends calculations and needs satisfaction and the making of states, citizens, and subjects in that image clashes with the neoconservative project of producing a moral subject and moral order against the effects of the market in culture and orientation to the uh, repression and sublimation rather than satisfaction of desire. It's so sad that it worked so well. Like, obviously, I am condensing this or or hyperbolic 
whatever that word is. I'm being hyperbolic uh, about some of it, but it almost seems like they convinced everybody to forget history, to forget how we got here by just being like, uh, a real man wouldn't think about those things. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's crazy the amount of people who to this day, you know, like Ben Shapiro's, Dave Rubin's, things of that nature, how much their whole shtick is, um, while being far from what I would consider classically manly, uh, these people just basically get to be like, I'm too manly to care about uh, racism. Like, if you're if you're still experiencing racism, it's because you're a wussy. You know, stuff like that. Or, or, or it, it, you know, a lot of stuff about, like, whining. Like, stop whining. Yeah. You yeah. know, as though... Yeah demanding for justice or or pointing out injustice is whining yep exactly and yet and yet at the same time they whine about fucking the gender of a potato (laughs) yeah exactly or dr seuss books that nobody ever bought yeah no it's 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 completely absurd and it's just yeah to me it's really sad i guess how effective it is yep so uh, perhaps most importantly, neoliberalism's figures, neoliberalism figures a future in which cultural and national borders are largely erased, er, erased in which all relations, attachments, and endeavors are submitted to a monetary nexus. While neoconservatives, neoconservatism scrambles to rearticulate and police cultural and national borders, the sacred and the singular through discourses of patriotism, religiosity, and the West. Neoliberalism looks forward to a global order contoured by universalized market rationality in which cultural difference is at most a commodity and nation-state boundaries are but markers of culinary differences and provincial legal arrangements while american neoconservatism looks backward to a national and nationalist order contoured by a set of moral and political attachments inflected by the contingent ambition of empire i just thought the um the whole uh uh, talking about neoliberalism being about culinary differences you Mm -hmm. know that just reminded me of, and it's he's not wrong, but it's just funny to hear uh, back in the day, Destiny just be like talking to white supremacists being like, what, you don't like different types of food? Like <laughs> I'm into div- diversity because I just, you know, because I like Thai food, because I like <laughs> Vietnamese food. And he's not wrong. And like, that is a good place to meet, especially someone that's like a white or like a white nationalist. But it is funny to like condense down whole cultures into like what their culinary consume, like what commodities um, come out of their culture that you get to consume. You know? Yeah. No, it's funny that what I was thinking is like, man, I would also uh, really like a world that wasn't regulated by borders. Um, but it wouldn't be for profit. It, it would be for, you know, uh, human rights reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I could care less if they got here and forgot how to cook their home dishes. I just want to make sure people don't have to live in fear because yeah. of where they were born. Yeah. You know, and I just wonder how many people get sucked into certain aspects of larger modes of thought without really understanding the whole aspect of that mode of thought. They're just kind of stuck on like, well, this will make this aspect better for sure. It's probably mm-hmm. a pretty seductive line of thought. Yeah, totally. All right. More generally, neoliberalism 
confidently identifies itself with the future and in producing itself as moral rather than adversarial does not acknowledge any alternative futures. Neoconservatism, on the other hand, identifies itself as the guardian and advocate of a potentially vanishing past and present and a righteous bulwark against loss and constitutes itself a warring against serious contenders for an alternative uh what is this fu- futurity uh, i've never seen that word but i can guess what it means i think and i know i've ran into problems with that in the past but i am just gonna guess that it means the future <laughs> i'm looking it up just to make sure but oh my god the I'm future time the future time okay good that <laughs> uh you can cut this out but that reminds me of uh what was it aqua teen hunger force was that like time traveling robotic turkey or whatever okay. that was always like i am from the future time the time in the future the future time okay. um it's just a, a, a funny sense the future, the future time. time yeah future futurity those it identifies as liberalism at home and barbarism abroad. But here it is important to remember that neoconservatism is also born in part as a response to capitalism's erosion of meaning and morality, and that the founding neoconservatives, while opposed to communism as a political and social form, were rarely ardent free marketers. To the contrary, in 1978, Irving Kristol, the original and iconic neocon, famously gave two cheers for capitalism, for the freedom and wealth it accrues for most people, withholding the third cheer because consumer societies are empty of moral meaning, if not forthrightly nihilistic. So the conundrum of neo I can think of a lot of capitalist societies that, that aren't based on consumerism. It's um, such an obvious thing. Really? No, of okay. course not. How the hell could you have a capitalist society without it being consumer-based? Right. <laughs> like, Which even, is why... I can't begin I to think, understand that logic. I think that's why he only gave two cheers for again. capitalism. Two cheers. No, that's what I'm yeah. saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, how can you cheer freedom, cheer capitalism, and the wealth that accrues, but then be like, but consumerism is bad? <laughs> like, I just, I can't even... I think he's saying, like, I'm glad that we get these benefits from capitalism, but it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that they're... Um... That what it's based upon is consumption. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, okay, so see how well your capitalist society works if people aren't mass consumers. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, let's give that a yep. test. <laughs> like, so the conundrum... Sorry. No, you're good. So the conundrum of neo conservatism's concern to preserve or reweave the moral fabric that corporate domination shreds is actually a foundation stone of neoconservatism, at least among its intellectuals. However enthusiastic about corporate wealth today and however close to it socially and politically, no neocon is a pure neoliberal, although many endorse neoliberalism to the point of making difficulty for themselves and speak a strange verbal brew that mixes the idioms of moral rectitude and entrepreneurial calculation. Still, corporate responsibility has become as much the watchword of the neocons as of liberals or the left, even if each wants the corporation to be responsible to and for different things. So like kind of just to make sure I have an idea, 
where like neolibs might be like, hey, please pollute less. Uh, no, 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 not neolibs, liberals uh, or the left would be like. Li- well, yeah, sorry. Liberals or the left yeah. would be saying, sorry, sorry, would be saying that. And neocons would be like, hey, uh, your book had a titty in it. Uh, I'm going to need you to pull that book from the Absolutely. shelf. Probably the different regulations they're looking for. Absolutely. And and there's a quote coming up that really talks about that. Okay. Even neoliberal political rationality does not aim to clear the state and society of moral and political norms. Rather, it is available to promulgate and realize such norms through the market mechanisms, through incentives rather than directives. Well-known American examples include workfare and marriage benefits for the indigent and three strikes, in quotes, laws that convert a third uh, misdemeanor into a felony-level prison sentence. Moreover, like neoliberalism, neoconservatism is not opposed to government even as it draws on this this legitimating legacy of an older conservatism in its opposition to taxation and welfare. Neocons oppose state redistribution of wealth, not expensive government as such, just as they selectively favor government intrusion, censorship, and regulation for the under-races and under-classes, for critical intellectuals, and for security and moral morality issues. I just want to say, I feel like neocons oppose state redistribution of wealth when it goes down. But they're all about state yes, redistribution right. of wealth going up. No, for sure. I also love that with like our current batch of whatever we call modern day conservatives, that they just held on to all the shitty parts of neocons. <laughs> like There was an evolution. It just mm-hmm. went the wrong way. They were like, all right, we found some really unpopular and really shitty things that make people who are oppressed or in disadvantaged situations feel terrible. We want to make sure we keep that going um, while also getting worse and everything. Yeah. So thank you. Um, that is our plan for the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, in Irving Crystal's words, neocons do not feel alarm or anxiety about the growth of the state in the past century, seeing it as natural, indeed inevitable. People have always preferred strong government to weak government, although they certainly have no liking for anything that smacks of overly intrusive government. Neocons and religious traditionalists are united on issues concerning the quality of education, the relations of church and state, regulation of pornography, and the like, all of which they regard as proper candidates for the government's attention. And then, of course, there is foreign policy. So the the pornography thing was like what you were talking about earlier. Uh, Again, just as neoliberals deviate from laissez-faire economics in mobilizing law and policy to support the market and shape social goals, neocons, too, are status. They support state regulation of morality, state steerage of the economy and of course building a mighty state military enterprise as the straussians would have it government is a pilot in the platonic sense it unapologetically steers the moral political and economic ship and as we shall see draws in part on a religiously interp in oh my god i fucking listened to this word so many times early today interpellate Interpellate, okay, on a religiously interpellated citizenry, submissive to hierarchy and authority and largely indifferent to 
deliberation and reasoning to legitimate this. So interpellate just means to interrupt the order of the day by demanding an explanation from or in philosophy. So this is the one that probably it bring into being or given identity to. So yeah, that's the that's the one that makes sense there. So like getting your identity from religious or it's just like concepts or whatever. It's like, like on a religiously interpolated citizenry. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Like in that instance. Okay. Yeah, yeah. While neoconservative governments may do as much of this steering as possible through neoliberal political technologies that make good entrepreneurial actors and discerning consumers even out of welfare recipients and illegal immigrants, it does not shy from overtly deciding and enforcing norms across fields ranging from marriage to fiscal policy to war. It almost, and obviously I'm really, really missing the point, but some of it feels that like modern, or at least the neoconservatism of this time is like neoliberalism, but we got to make sure it's just for Christian whites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like we want, we want them to be free and to have the market help them. Um, We just want to make sure that we have things in place to make sure those are the only people that the Mm -hmm. market helps. Um, even to like the concept of like, you know, I was thinking earlier, how can they support, you know, making money and all of that stuff uh, while also loving corporations? Because in their head, they like to think that money comes from small businesses and not um, corporations. And they want to make sure those small businesses only have to hire white Christians and don't have to sell their products to gay people. Yeah. Um, you know, just terrible shit like that. Uh, all right, let's wrap this, uh, today's session up. So, uh, what is supplanted by neoconservative notions and practices of governance resting atop neoliberal productions of the political and the citizen? First, they displace liberal democratic modes of state legitimacy, largely taken for granted in the post-war 20th century, including those anointing democratic states as universal, procedural, and juridical or juridical, as religiously and culturally secular, and as peaceful and defense-oriented. These nodes of legitimacy are replaced by a figure of a state that is openly partial, maneuvering, and politically and political, openly invested in culture and the market, openly engaged in promoting a civic religion that links family form, consumer practices, political passivity, and patriotism and openly and aggressively imperial. Each of these reformations is significant unto itself, but together they establish a relation of mutual reinforcement between newly legitimated statism in domestic and international policies. Okay. Uh, In addition, although neoconservatism, like neoliberalism, wraps itself in the mantle of liberty and democracy, neoconservative political projects displace the key principles and assumptions long associated with constitutional democracy. Yeah, while also pretending that's all they care about. Equality is not a... She didn't write that, I said that. Uh, Equality is not a value to be found anywhere in the neocon or neoliberal universe. To the contrary, egalitarianism is understood as a treacherous demagogic appeal to which a property-owning and tax-paying population will, in time, become less vulnerable. I hate that so much. Uh, not only does neoconservatism figure redistribution has wrong a wrong against the middle class, but also the political rationality of neoliberalism is expressly about winners and losers based on entrepreneurial skill. Uh, and on a side note, has nothing to do with how wealthy your parents were. And the political rationality of neoconservatism is about preserving what you've got and protecting your own. 
whether an individual family or the national family. More, the wealth of America is figured by neocons as part of its greatness and part of what makes it desired by some foreigners and hated by others. Hence, an appropriate element of patriotic attachment. This renders as anti-American any resentment of the rich, reasoning that <clears throat> reasoning that also neutralizes anger over a deteriorating standard of existence for a working class content, in Thomas Frank's words, to be underpaid and overweight, as long as it is also cooed by the party of the rich as the real America. Still so um, relevant for now. Yep. You know, it's... Um, <laughs> It's just so depressing, and I feel, and I could be wrong, but I feel that so much of, like, the agitation and just displeasure with life in America comes from these concepts, but so many people are in a position where they, and I, I, this is all assumptions, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, <laughs> say this is for real, but I feel like it's just a lot of people that feel too embarrassed to admit that this system might not be working, um, because to admit that would be to admit to your own failure. Well, no, it wouldn't be admitting your own failure. It would be admitting the system's failure. Well, you're, you're fail. I mean, to like the people who buy into it, if you weren't able to make money in this system, if you weren't, it wasn't the system, it was because you sucked. Which, which is what you would think if you thought the system was effective and efficient. But if you think that right, the system right. is broken, then it has nothing to do with you. No, for sure. But I would say, unfortunately, the majority of Americans aren't at that spot where they can admit the system is broken. They are mad at things like immigrants. They are mad at, you know, things of that nature, not mm -hmm. the system itself. Because if they admitted the system was broken, then something they believed in would be broken. And then, you know, the success stories in it wouldn't yes. ring yep. the same true. Or, yep. you know what I'm saying? Like, to admit the system doesn't work for people who bought into it wholesale, you don't have a chance um, with your own genius right. or whatever, you know? like it's, Or more uh, importantly... You can't just like work hard and then it, everything will work out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's funny. They think other people are dogmatic because to me, that's as dogmatic as it gets. Like I, ha I have faith this will work out. So I'm just going to keep eating shit until one of them turns into a full. Totally. Totally. So I feel like that's a good place to wrap up today. Yeah. So next time. We look forward next time to um, uh, to continuing the article, to, to seeing what else Wendy Brown has to say about neoconservatism and neoliberalism, and we hope that you join us. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.